Welcome to the Boma, New Jersey podcast, where we feature industry leaders, allied partners, and share important industry insights. I'm John Majeski with Ellen Wolf as your hosts. Episode number five is brought to you by Energy Plus Solutions. Energy Plus Solutions helps improve your portfolio's energy efficiencies now and enhances your balance sheet in the process to prepare your portfolio for anticipated regulatory requirements. Good morning, Ellen. Hi, John. So today we're going to be doing part two of our New Jersey Energy Master Plan meeting and talk about how it's going to affect building owners and building managers of commercial properties in New Jersey. So to discuss the topic, we have Mike Donahue, Director of Operations at Mountain Development, Jeff Grant, Strategic Sustainability Executive at Energy Plus Solutions, and Grant Salmon, Commercial HVAC Controls at Honeywell. The other uh, strategies that are in the master plan talk about um, transportation, um, you know, sharing uh, the green energy with underserved communities and um, energy planning and uh, expanding uh, the innovative economy. Um, these are things that are sort of like outside my sandbox. <laughs> um, so I don't know, Jeff and Grant might have uh, more to say on them. Yeah, do you guys think that would affect uh, Mike at all in, in- in his sandbox, like any of that stuff, any trickle down effect or anything? Well, there's certainly a trickle down effect. Yeah, but... well, there's, there's trickle down, and um, and part of that is there's this term called social justice and environmental equity, and mm-hmm. you know that is mentioned in the plan, and it's it's talked about actually in the whole life today. And I'm not sure exactly how that's going to be brought to bear, but but I think what's going to be what it's going to mean is there's going to be more responsibility put on building owners to participate in whatever it's going to take to deliver social justice and environmental equity all right so i mean so just let yourself let your imagination you know expand on what that means so it's going to require i believe it remains to be seen how it's going to be rolled out but it's going to require more outreach to community the building owners and the building managers are going to be more involved in what's going on in the community how exactly i don't know but it could be, you know, subsidizing green energy for low-income housing. You know, right now there's a community solar program that's already set up to do that. It's really not clear how that's going to happen, but I think there's going to wind up being more and more of an interaction between the building owners and the surrounding areas. The other reinteraction I think is going to happen is if we're going to try to build another building, break new ground, you know, uh, dig a foundation, build a building, it's going to be more difficult because we're going to have to be mindful of how that building affects the, the town and the local residents. How this plays out is yet to be seen, uh, but it's something that I think is going to be happening over time as we as we go through this plan. Sustainability, not only energy-wise, but sustainability for our cities, towns, and the communities where we live, operate, and build new buildings. So one of the things that um, will help with underserved communities that we're talking about is community solar, where solar is put on a property. Um, it could be, you know, a building owner's property, maybe an industrial rooftop or a parking lot that participates in a community solar program where that 
solar goes back to the grid. It doesn't necessarily go to the property owner. And it could be diverted uh, and it might be more of a financial calculation than anything uh, to serve communities that just couldn't afford mm -hmm. to put this technology in themselves. And I'm sure there's other ways that they're going to do that with wind power and other technologies that are on the forefront right now. Yeah. So if you're hearing a lot about sorry to kind of change this, this what we're kind of talking about a little bit i've been hearing a lot about decarbonization um had, is that something that's viable is that something that's in in effect right now so what they're looking to do is get away from using fossil fuel um basically that's how you accomplish decarbonization but one of the resources that we have here in, in the U.S. is natural gas, and that is part of what they're looking to avoid using, um, which um, with gas, there's uh, it's, it's a pretty clean energy to start off with. And, um, and I'm sure through advancements in, in technology, it could be made even better. So if we could continue to use gas, that solves a lot of the problem of retrofitting buildings to become all electric. You know, if a building already has uh, gas heat instead of oil, for, as an example, um, maybe there's ways to make it more efficient that uh, would satisfy everybody. And I think it's something that uh, should be explored, but right now that's on the table to be eliminated. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Okay. And Jeff, what about um, not necessarily decarbonization, but the car, the carbon scrubbing is, is what, what I was kind of meaning, like where they're actually extracting carbon from, from the air. Well, carbon scrubbing is an expensive process where you've got an emissions stream from a gas fired power plant or anything for that matter. And somehow you, you somehow you precipitate the carbon out of that, out of that exhaust. Uh, it's not easy to do, but, you know, it's limestone. There's all kinds of technologies to do it. And I, I, I stand correct that I'm not sure it's limestone as gets the acids out, but I don't, I can't really comment much about it, but I can tell you it's likely very expensive and it's going to likely affect the reliability of these power plants. Um, you know, carbon dioxide is 0.04% of our atmosphere right now. Um, and uh, what's coming out of our power plant was, of course, a much higher percentage. It gets diluted and it gets dumped into the atmosphere. You know, how to do it, how much it costs, I really don't know. Okay. But I don't think that's the direction that our state is going in. The direction is eliminate the gas-fired power plants, eliminate fossil fuel boilers, eliminate gas cooking, and everything is electric. And electric is going to be generated by solar and wind and other renewable resources. Nuclear does count so far. Uh, but then, like I said, the nuclear power plants in New Jersey have about another 15 years left, and then they're done. The licenses have already been extended. They're done. So I know, you know, there's a lot of different acts that were put into place. There's the Clean Energy Act of 2018, the Global Warming Response Act. You know, there's all these different acts that are part of the New Jersey Energy Master Plan. I'm very confused. Can you break some of that down for me? And you know who's putting out the DEP is putting out the Global Warming Response Act, and I, I don't know. I'm 
I'm um, obviously not a property manager. <laughs> well, like Mike said, I mean, different organ different entities in the state government are doing different things. So, I mean, the DEP is focused on increasing building efficiency, improving the thermal envelope, you know, and decarbonizing buildings, which means eliminate any any fossil fuel use in the buildings. But but the Board of Public Utilities is working on its own plan with the utility companies, starting with them to add EV charging stations throughout the major thoroughfares in the state and uh, to start kicking off energy efficiency improvements. You know, how they're going to do it, how they're going to spend the extra money they're getting, it remains to be seen, but it, we'll, we'll find out as it unfolds. And then you also have the DCA, which is responsible for building codes, which has already started. You know, there's an energy plan that you have to meet when you do a tenant build out. So now you have to have daylighting requirements that have to be met. Uh, you have an energy efficiency things where you have to have sensors in your space to turn off lights when it's not being used. So it's automatic instead of waiting for someone to remember to turn the switch off. And um, I'm sure there'll be other things with water usage and um, the whole environmental package sort of flows through the DCA in terms of what you're allowed to build. And Mike, that's a really good point. I, I think we're going to see a movement towards um, the codification of perhaps like a, a net zero energy type of standard where, you know, every building will, you know, if you're looking at it from a, a balance sheet perspective in terms of, carbon dioxide uh, in and carbon dioxide out that are, uh, you're going to wind up at that net zero point um, or a, a passive house standard, something to that effect. So mm -hmm. um, we're already, you know, moving forward with increasingly stringent energy efficiency standards, and that's not going to unwind at all. That's, that's going to be increasingly stringent as we move forward. Correct. I have a question um, to just throw out there. Take your uh, your building and pull a boiler out and retrofit it to electrify it. How much does that cost? That's the good. That one, how, how much does it cost to do that to a building? That's the great unknown. Right. Um, because not only are you just replacing the boiler, but you might be replacing the distribution uh, of that as well throughout the building, which means that you're not just working down uh, in the plant room in, in the basement, you're working in all the tenant spaces and stuff. It's, um, it, it's a real design challenge at this point. Yeah, the, um, the engineering community, as far as I have understood, and just speaking with even some New York engineering firms that were part of a Bowman New York event, they don't even know at this point, you know, how to go about electrifying uh, fossil fuel fired heating systems. Uh, as Mike is saying, it, it is the entire system all the way down into the space. And uh, the reason for that is, is you, you can only get about 120 degree water out of current heat pump technology. That's not to say that's not the only technology that exists. Maybe, you know, you can get higher temperatures, but lower temperature water requires greater heat transfer surface in the space, you know, by a factor of about three. So it's going to take up floor space and space in air handling systems for larger coils, et cetera. Um, there is some technology using carbon dioxide of all things as a refrigerant uh, that may be able to increase uh, the, uh, the, heat, the heat output temperature of water in, in, a, in one of these heat pump technologies. You know, where that goes, I don't know. Uh, and to, the, to that point, the New Jersey Energy Master Bond actually even says that they know the technology does not exist at present to effectuate this plan. 
but they're hoping that by the time it unfolds and that the replacement of borrowers occurs, that the technology will be there and be available. So, you know, they have questions just as we do. So it sounds like it would be a good idea to start retrofitting in some other areas, take those incentives that are offered for doing that, put that in an account to plan for things like that. Yeah, yes, and, and I would say that's a good point on And I would say, however, if a new building was being designed, uh, I would look towards a, a, a water loop heat pump system, uh, something that can recycle heat from the core of the building to the perimeter of the building, something like that. The better systems will have, uh, you know, a dual loop system, one for storing chilled water and another for storing hot water as opposed to a common loop. Uh, and or we've had seminars on variable refrigerant flow systems where there's no water loop. You know, it's all done through uh, regulating refrigerant flow throughout the building. So there are options. And those are the things to think about if a new building is being designed or if any major retrofit is being done. Uh, that would be the time to convert to a system like that. If you just use the word storage, and that's the first time that word has come up in our conversation here, right? Um, solar, wind, inter intermittent power sources, right? So it seems that, you know, following from that, there must be a massive uptick in storage, What you know, battery storage, ice storage. I don't know exactly what that winds up looking like technically, but do you have any comments on the, the topic of energy storage? Yeah, that's a good point. In fact, uh, especially because these renewable technologies are intermittent, it's going to require storage. And and as Grant said, there, there's two types of storage. One is thermal storage, where you store the product of a refrigeration plant or a heating plant in the form of ice or chilled water or in the form of hot water. And the other storage option is storing the electricity in a battery system. Batteries at this point are incredibly expensive. I don't have numbers for you, but I can get them. Uh, on the expense of batteries. And uh, the technology is emerging. Uh, there is not much happening on a utility grade level for batteries. Uh, you know, they're all utilized, you know, rare earth minerals. Uh, even the wind plants utilize rare earth minerals to make the permanent magnets in the motors. So, you know, there's gonna be some resource issues. Where do these rare earth minerals come from? How available are they? Uh, most of it comes from China, believe it or not. So though these technologies are effectively shifting uh, the supply stream to China and uh, you know, whatever processes they have to mine and manufacture it, you know, that's gonna be built into what we're buying. So there are some security issues, there are some cost issues, there are some availability issues, and uh, you know, we're just gonna to have to see how it flushes out. You know, watch the cost, watch the supply stream, you know, make sure we can put something in place that's gonna work for us. Okay, I'll give you just one comment on battery pricing. Um, I'm, I just heavily looked at it from my own home. I have a three bedroom house. So this, we're talking at a micro level here, but a battery that in a grid down event could power my house for about a day and a half, 20 grand. Wow. So pretty expensive. And uh, in the context of a, another solar project that I'm working on, I, I really like the idea of coupling the storage with the solar, but the storage was just cost prohibitive for me. So uh, that went out the window. And, and the lifespan of that battery, I'm going to guess, is about 10 years. Yeah. 10 years. The, the solar is warranted at 25 years. The battery is at 10 years. Right. They do wear out. My, my assessment was that um, the, the technology, you know, I guess technically it's probably there, but they have not figured out how to get the cost down on it. 
I think we have a very uh, immature market of installers and vendors who can actually appropriately service that battery storage market. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully there will be some incentives that will kick in to allow, you know, broader battery storage, you know, not just residentially, but commercial as well um, to bring that price into a, a more reasonable spot. And this is something that could be a uh, part of the regulations that come out, you know, between now and, and 2050, uh, that there'll be financial incentives and things such as the SRAT market where the mm. utility uh, companies, um, their, ben their uh, limit for generating through renewable sources um, may be raised, which creates the SRAC market to support solar at this time. There may be more types of models like that, financial models that will help um, make the uh, systems affordable. And in California, they use time of use billing in a lot of areas. So during times of peak demand, your electricity rate skyrockets. It, it may be you know, quadruples or quintuples such that if you have a battery and you could discharge down that battery, um, you're saving a lot of money on the bills that you're not spending during those extreme, um, extremely costly times of day. And, and that's one thing that's in the master plan is um, reducing peak time usage. So mm -hmm. how do you shed load during those times? You know, if you had generators, you would be allowed, you could possibly use them, but they're going to wind up becoming uh, not a great tool because they're basically run on carbon fuel. And, and as far as demand management goes, we talked about artificial intelligence and uh, smart buildings. Uh, with the right automation system, you can squeeze about an hour of compressor operation relief out of a building if you've got the right kind of control system. So the building itself acts as a thermal flywheel, but not many buildings are equipped to do that. So as a planning, planning process, if there's going to be an automation system retrofit to a facility, I would recommend thinking about that, how to make sure that automation system can be leveraged as a demand management tool, an effective one. Mm -hmm. All very, very good information again. And I think um, we are gonna start to wrap things up. So just your final thoughts for all property managers, facility managers, building owners, any advice that you'd like to give to them um, Mike, what would your final thoughts and advice be? Well, to do what you can now in terms of installing renewable energy systems in your properties. Um, if you can have the room for solar and, and it makes sense for you to do that, that would be a good thing to do. To install um, electric vehicle charging stations, if, if you have the capability of doing it, um, you know, it's taking a step into the future. And any other things that come down in terms of uh, reducing your uh, load, um, you should try to do them if it, if it makes financial sense. Excellent. Thank you very but much. My recommendation would be on any project um, that commercial owners are working on right now, as you're engaging with your architect and your engineer, start talking about this stuff now because the design community is not pushing forward with it until they're getting pushed by ownership. Mm -hmm. So owners need to be asking the questions now and letting the design community know that this is on our radar today to start planning for tomorrow. Very good point. Thank you, Grants. Jeff? 
Yeah, thanks, Alan. Uh, my recommendation would be to you know start planning early, uh, so your company and your management team doesn't get caught flat-footed. It's a lot easier to have a plan and execute that plan uh, steadily over time than it is to get stuck with having to do something all of a sudden. And then the other point I would make is some of these incentives have limits to them. I mean, for example, the large energy user program in New Jersey is first come first serve. So you can imagine when the regulations are released and then dropped and everybody's clamoring to do energy efficiency projects and they're all competing for limited incentive funds. Well, you know, that's when all the elephants are running for the keyhole. Uh, we don't want to find any client in that position. We want to find, find a, a way to steadily consume those funds while they're available and not get stuck competing for limited incentive funds. A very good point as well. Thank you gentlemen so very much for joining us. John, did you have any last thoughts? Just learned a lot during this uh, podcast. Want to thank everybody for joining us and we appreciate your expertise and, and your viewpoint. Thank you. Glad to do it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. Agreed. Thank you so much for joining us on the BOMA New Jersey podcast, episode number five, sponsored by Energy Plus Solutions. New Jersey and the nation have an energy plan. Does your portfolio have its plan? Energy Plus Solutions can help. So reach out to them at energypsolutions.com. Tune in next time for all the Bomer New Jersey insider information that you'll only find right here on the Bomer New Jersey podcast. Till then, I'm Ellen Wolf. And I'm John Majeski. Thanks for listening. Stay well, stay strong, and stay safe.